Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 104, week 104, volume 104, number fucking 104. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Chris of Berry Tomorrow, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week. This week, it comes from the Black Dahlia Murder. They have released the title track from their forthcoming album, which will be their ninth album, Verminous. It gets released April 17th through Metal Blade Records, and the death metal heavyweights are back, and they are not slowing down. You get everything you expect from the Black Dahlia Murder. There's no compromise. You can hear the band are slightly evolving, but not too far. They're still death metal, they're still vicious, it's still angry, and it's still heavy as fuck. Make sure you check it out this week. It's the new one by the Black Dahlia Murder. It's called Verminous. It comes out April 17th on Metal Blade Records. We've got two albums of the week this week. The first one is by Orthodox. The album is called Let It Take Its Course. It's out now on Unbeaten Records. These guys have got like a new metal influenced hardcore going on and while that sounds really strange, it works beautifully. It's angry, dark, gritty, menacing at times. The band are going to blow up behind this release so if you want to get behind a band before they get too big, get in now. The band is called Orthodox. The album's called Let It Take Its Course. It's out now on Unbeaten Records. Also this week, when you check that album out, if you haven't checked out our chat with the vocalist Adam, make sure you go back and scope that out. That was on episode 94. Our second album of the week comes from Loathe, and it's titled I Let It In and It Took Everything out now on Sharp Tone Records. First thing I have to say about this release is this album will without a doubt be in most people's album of the year lists. There is massive Deftones references, but there's so much more to it than just that. There is metalcore, there's gent, there's atmospheric stuff. It's it's amazing, guys. You need to check this album out. It bleeds passion, emotion, and it's consuming. It's such a consuming album and a journey, and it's very exciting as well. Don't skip on this album. Don't miss out on this album. And when you've checked it out, you can thank me later. The album's called I Let It In and It Took Everything, and it's by Loathe. After you've checked the album out this week, make sure you also go back and listen to our chat with Caden of the band, and that was on episode 43. No real feedback questions this week, but as always, help us out with some shares this week, guys. If you've got some time, share it on your social medias. Also, if you've got some time this week, give us a rating and review, whether that's on iTunes podcasts or on our Facebook page. All of it is invaluable and we appreciate everyone that helps us grow. 
Let's get into the main part of the show, the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week, I got to sit down with Chris of Berry tomorrow. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I love this band and the bromance with Chris was strong from the offset, which you'll hear through the chat. And this band, I think most people should know about. If you don't, you definitely will by the end of this chat. They are English metalcore champions. Chris joined the band around 2012-2013, and with him in the band, they've had three albums and a new one on the way. So as I said, I'm a big fan, so to get him on the show meant a lot. Great in-depth conversation, lots of fun had. You get to know all about him, the band, and everything else along the way. That chat with Chris is coming up now. Uh, usually the same question for everyone, and it's um, not necessarily a heavy band, but a band that you, at a young age, were like kind of obsessed with that really helped shape music being a thing for you. Well, I mean... I could start by like the, my first recollection. It's not necessarily a band, more a song, um, where I was like, "Shit, this is amazing." Um, I'm often told by members of my family that I do have quite a good memory from when I was younger, and this is no exaggeration. I was four years old, and uh, there used to be this like CD-ROM shop, and my mom often bought me like uh, interactive CDs, CD-ROMs for me to learn from, or just you know. Just, I was fucking four, so just like, she's like, learn shit. So um, <laughs> there was this Marvel Creativity Center, it was called, and you basically just colored in templates of the Marvel superheroes. You just like clicked a button and it painted in shit. They had this thing called Spidey Radio, right? And Real Big Fish Sell Out was mm. on it. And so I always remember turning on this section. You were in like this office. If you clicked on the, the radio, it just came on. And I was like... Oh my god, this is fucking mint. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure I didn't react like that, but <laughs> that song was the first song that I ever like. I used to go on that game to listen to that song on repeat as a as a kid. Um, but I mean, I grew up um, to a single parent, um, Amaz. Shout out Amaz, top top lady. Um, and she was like, she was fairly young, so like 25, 26. So, I mean. No one in my family's actually been very musical, but I, I just grew up with uh, 90s radio, a lot of 90s trance. Um, and then she, but she had a lot of CDs. So as I got older, obviously I'd started to wear the creativity center a bit thin. Um, and so I used to go through her CD collection and there was a lot of Madonna, a lot of Cher, um, <laughs> Carpenters, which, you know, I'm quite a fan of. And, you know, Madonna's got some bangers, so Cher, but... I remember very vividly stumbling upon Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette, and I must have been like eight or nine, and I just studied that CD like no end. It just it just took me somewhere else, and I can remember just being completely absorbed by these songs or this body of work. And I didn't everything else was songs for me up to that point, and then just that was as an album back to back to front and, and still it stands as one of my favorite records. And, um, I just think it's such a beautiful album. And, uh, so I think that was really my first 
I'd say Alanis Morissette was like the first time I was like, shit, like this is powerful. But <laughs> Real Big Fish was the first song that I was like, oh, I, I'm into this. Well, Alanis Morissette, I mean, you, if you look back um, at the time, it was it was kind of grungy. Like it had quite a bit mm-hmm. of edge and attitude to it while still being very radio friendly. I mean, we're... Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's funny. I didn't realise that at the time. But obviously, as my tastes expanded, as I get older, I find it more badass as I get older because of that. <laughs> I, have that I have the appreciation for the, you know, the, the history of her musical style, if you will. So, so, yeah, it's cool. So where did your, you know, musical discovery go from there? So you're saying that, like, radio was kind of the thing and your mm-hmm. mum's CDs was the thing. But how did you branch from there to heavier styles? Was there an artist in particular or was it something you discovered? Like, how did you step yeah. up? So from that point, um, it was, again, it was games. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, that, I mean, like, I'm 27. So, like, if I was born in 92, by the age of, like, 7, 8, Tony Hawks was the man. <laughs> mm. And he's all those kind of games. So, for example, I remember very vividly hearing... Um, well, Goldfinger was on the Tony Hawk skateboarding uh, Superman. It was the first one. Um, there was also this hip hop artist called Aim. He's from, I believe, he's from Manchester. He's a producer, and he had a song on there which really blew me away. So from playing those games, I enjoyed them, and the soundtracks were cool. But Dave Mirror, I think it might have been Pro Fruit Style BMX Two or something. It had Be Quiet and Drive by Deftones on it. Ooh. Bear in mind, I'm still like eight or nine years old here. But you used to be able to go on the, the track list and see what the songs were. Mm-hmm. And it also had Sublime, um, what I got. And it had a couple of, dis- uh, I think Distillers were on there as well. But in regards to that, Deftones, Be Quiet and Drive was the first heavy song. And again, it's super melodic. So Melody, I think, well, if I'm thinking about it, Melody was like a recurring theme during my younger years. And that song just blew my mind. There was other, um, there was a snowboarding game. I can't remember what it was, but American Hi-Fi was on there. So with the exception of Deftones, it was all like kind of radio-friendly rock, American Pie, what have you. But Deftones, I think I'm not, an, I'm not a massive Deftones fan. Uh, it's not that I'm against Deftones. I just never delved super deep. But that song was the one that kind of, and you know, again, a couple of years after that, Limp Biscuit, Lincoln Park, Marilyn Manson. Slipknot was all over all over the radio, and we used to have kids that burnt that older sisters burnt CDs, so we used to just be like, "Oh, put Slipknot on there," and I can remember hearing "Wait and Bleed" for the first time when I was like, again, young, and just being floored by how heavy it was, but how melodic, you know, that melody is in chorus, iconic. So yeah, I guess it was the whole new metal thing. You couldn't avoid it. Because it was just mainstream. You used to go on Barnsley Market, mate, and they'd be selling like Lincoln Park t shirts. Bootleg as fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we had, uh, y- you couldn't avoid it at that time. No, especially I mean, being a kid. No, I remember it as well. I mean, I was, I was, when that new metal wave really hit, I think I was about 17 or 18. And it, as you're right, mm. it was not only all over radio, it was just everywhere, like CD stores everywhere. Um, but, I know a lot of people that weren't drawn to the heavier side, even if it was new metal. So what, apart from, you know, how loud it was and the bit of melody, what about, you know, that music did you want to be a part of or do you wanted to get into? What drew you in? Um, 
it's it's interesting because I never had if I if I think about it I never had anyone that kind of got me into it in in a way so I remember one instance so I must have been about 10 here bear in mind again this is the whole new metal thing was very mainstream I was listening to a lot of like Red Hot Chili Peppers as well a lot of rock music Kerrang was a big thing for me I used to go into uh, like a news agent and buy Kerrang listen to all the bands this is like I didn't have the internet at the time either I used to have to go to Barnsley Library to like listen to bands. And I always remember um, the Comalized record by Lacuna Coil. I mm. heard that somewhere. And I used to go to Barnsley Library to listen to that album. I mean, looking back, I mean, I won't listen to it now, but like back then I was, yeah, I, I was very passionate about it. But there was this guy on our street, uh, they just, I'd never seen him before, two kids on skateboards, definitely older than me, wearing slipknot hoodies. And I just went out, took my skateboard, and I was just like trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to bro down with the skaters on the street. <laughs> um, and yeah, we just got talking, and they were they were very encouraging. They didn't treat me like a little kid, but just treat me as just a human being, which were amazing. And through that, I uh, I heard like American Head Charge, Mudvayne. Again, it's still all new metal, but um, that kind of gave me an in. And I was like, oh, these these older kids are pretty sick, and they used to look out for me and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, so I guess from that point, it was just, I guess that kind of drew me in, but um, it was just, I don't know, I just felt very passionate about this this whole music thing. Like, I used to play um, recorder and fucking clarinet and be in school choir and all that shit, um, which gave me a, you know, I was, definite, I was passionate about playing clarinet, recorder, I was just like, get in the sea, man, this is shit. <laughs> but I was, our school back then was very, like, me and my mates talk about it now. They were very like, you're my fucking kid now. Like, they, they, were, they were brutal. There were some teachers who had some compassion and empathy, but my mate shit himself in class once and she was like, yeah, just, you know, enjoy it. Like, they, they just did not give a shit. Um, so, yeah, I found that musically I was, you know, that was forced upon us. But um, with everything else, I just... It was just a very natural thing. There's, I don't feel like there's any any point where I was like that. That was the change. Just felt like a very natural thing growing up, really. Yeah. Well, it sounds. I mean, your it sounds like your discovery was just very organic. Um, what, Absolutely. Yeah. What? Um, what? You know, you mentioned a bit of high school there. So, what was school like for you? Was there? A, where were you going with your um, learning development and your career path because a lot of kids at school, if they want to do music, they're probably told realistically not to do it. So where were you in your thought patterns finishing high school? Was music a thing at that stage that you wanted to pursue or were you looking for something to fall back on? Funnily enough, that, that I was just talking about was junior school. So I was 9, 10 and 11 at that point. Um, so I was super young. And when I was, by the time that I left junior school to go to high school, I was already fully invested in this music thing. I found actually like a, like a year seven book. So when you started high school in art, they made you make this book and I forgot what it was called, but um, they made you write like what, what you enjoyed and what your hobbies were. And mate, I had a picture of Justin Hawkins from Darkness in there. <laughs> um, a picture of Corey Taylor, Vil Valo from him. By year seven, I was already like, I knew every band that had been Kerrang that week. 
Because by that point, oh, I'll just summarise on the internet thing. Once my mum got the internet and Sky TV, it opened up fucking every door possible, you know, for me to check these bands out, like watching music videos on Yahoo or AOL pre-YouTube. And those are a band I didn't know. The, the, the best thing about music at that time as well, that you got a free CD with every magazine you bought. Mm. So you just get into infinite amounts of new artists. So that that's 2003. So year seven at school, I was already so invested in this rock music thing. They're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to be in a band. Couldn't play guitar, couldn't play anything. But we used to have this like extra curricular class called Guitar Club, great name. Um, and I tried to play guitar. I tried to convince people I could play guitar. But I mean, I, I went for bass lessons after this point. So this is again, year seven. And I played right hand and bass learnt like some Weezer songs and my bass teacher actually called Rick, can't remember his surname, but he was very, he turned me on to a lot of bands, especially Weezer. He was a massive Weezer fan and um, I still, you, you know, the early records I still think are great. Um, so yeah, I got into learning bass and then when it came to playing guitar, this is like year eight, so 2004. And this is, that's the year really that I started finding heavier music, purevolume.com being a big, a big, you know, open door for that but I said I want to play guitar and he was like mm, we've got to teach you right-handed I was like but it doesn't feel right it's like well you can play bass right-handed so you'll be able to and I'm like no nah, I can't I couldn't pick with my right hand and it just didn't make sense to me anyway I'm like if, I, if I'm my right hand if I'm a left-handed guitarist is doing all the shredding it's like my left hand that's picking up you know the strings hmm. anyway Long story short, I, I sacked off bass lessons and taught myself how to play guitar with the help of um, my man buying me a Squire Strat and a Lost Profit Start Something tab book. So, yeah, 2004, got into a lot of new bands. By this point, mate, I was playing gigs when I was 12. Jeez. Me and my mate started a band. Um, yeah, so the, the – oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just saying, like, that's – yeah, at 12, and that's – like that's starting to put your career on path straight away. That's so not this wasting is what I mean. time. Yeah, it's it, this is a lovely chat because I'm literally going through like memory lane here, stuff I haven't thought about in years. So me and my mate in our form, uh, Sam Hemsworth, still a great friend of mine, uh, we started this covers band. Mate, they, they all so I had these mates who was like, you know, they got into music by the dads, like fucking Bon Jovi and. Um, white snake and all all that i fucking hated it man <laughs> so like i was in this cover band called exocet and i were like let's play some fucking i don't know like him or something but like johnny you're still wet. i was like fuck this but i did it anyway because i wanted to be in a band like we play like we tried to play rush songs and stuff we used to get paid like 20 quid each for playing it at your local gilroyd working men's and we'd be so happy and then after that i started to get into heavier stuff and me and some mates of mine started like a, <laughs> and I use this term very loosely, like a post-hardcore band from when we were 12 called Sunday's Memory. Mm. Fucking emotional, isn't it? And um, <laughs> we did a battle of the bands. And um, yeah, mate, we um, we lost. And I can remember being fuming. I had my Attica sweatband on and my checkered vans and a checkered guitar strap and we lost. And I were like, fuck i was like we were so much better i thought we were we were probably dogger mate but that's me yeah so i've been in bands since i was 12 which is mental i mean what what's yeah let's also come back a little bit with that guitar kind of story so 
you start learning on your own and your musical tastes uh, evolving and getting heavier and heavier as you're going. Um, what was it like for you learning? Were you looking to certain guitarists for inspiration and you, you know, kind of looking at saying, I want to be like that? Or were you just kind of learning just to learn and you're like, let's see where this goes and where it goes, it will go? It's, it's funny because, again, this felt like a very organic thing. I never had a guitar. All right, Kurt Cobain, for sure. Because he was a lefty as well. And I, I am a big Nirvana fan. I always have been. I'm quite a fan of the whole Seattle grunge movement, if you will. But yeah, man, Kurt Cobain for sure. Um, I'd like a Nirvana tab book too. Um, but yeah, back then, uh, Lee Gaze from uh, from Lost Profits at the time. Um, I, just, I just liked his style. I liked how he combined essentially like pop sensibility with like hardcore. I thought it was really cool. But other than that, I never had any guitar heroes. Again, this comes kind of back to the Bon Jovi thing. A lot of kids at my school were learning guitar, and they were like, I want to be like Steve Vai. And I just used to be like, fuck that. I just thought it was rubbish. It's not, as I've got older, and I appreciate that. But at the time, I was like, I just want to fucking throw my guitar around my neck. and you know. <laughs> so I guess it was, um, I wanted to be good but I didn't care about being the best. And to be honest, I live my life like that. I don't care about being the best. I just want to be happy in what I do. It's the right attitude, man, because it it means you're a lot more relaxed and you're not probably as stressed and overly critical probably in that way also. Oh, I don't know. Ooh. Like, <laughs> when I was younger, I probably didn't care too much. Like, I've been in hardcore bands since I was, like the first ever show I played with hardcore and metal bands, I was 13 years old in 2006. I didn't give a shit. Now things have changed and, you know, obviously I'm sure we'll get to that down the road, but I, I want to be great on stage in, in Berry tomorrow. I want to be great again. I don't want to be the best, but I, I do have quite high standards of myself and I, um, I should appreciate I, sh- I should stop and smell the roses more, if you will, because I'm pretty bad at that. But, um, oh, when I was younger, I did not give a shit. What was it like with your your mum, with, you know, you, you know, starting out in bands at a very young age? Was she mm-hmm. very supportive? Did she back you? Um, or was she a little bit worried that a boy is getting into something that potentially, you know, there's no career into it? Because at the time, she probably wouldn't be able to predict where you are now no but in a weird way and I don't want to sound cocky I always knew that I'd end up playing big festivals and big shows and releasing records but that's only because I never gave myself any other option and I always kind of think that in a weird way if you want something that bad eventually the universe will give it to you and I pretty much jammed that into a brain pretty young I was like I am going to do this and thankfully she because it were always just me and her growing up always me and her she's um she never once were like you aren't doing that neither did she say you're gonna do it she was just like i was like i'm playing a gig she's like where and and how you know i was just like oh i've got into this band with some mates at school we're playing it were it were called panama joe's at the time you know that first gig and she used to take me and wait and pick me up she'd come in and watch have a laugh and be like 
what's that thing that they're doing with the legs, Chris? I'm like, two-stepping. <laughs> She's like, what? You look like right, idiots. Um, she, she, the whole hardcore dancing thing blew her mind. She like, and the music itself, she didn't understand it. But she she knew I were happy, I guess, and she knew I was passionate and she let me pursue it. Um, and I couldn't have done it without her working, you know, as many jobs as she used to, to put a roof over her head near mine, buy me a guitar. So, um, yeah, I think that speaks volumes in itself. She um, she just, whatever I wanted to do, she wanted her, she wanted her pride and joy to be happy. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is, you know, credit to mum there. I mean, that's kind of, that's what you need and I'm, you know, very lucky to have because some people don't. You're talking about you know, these early shows, um, and mm. you're from Barnsley. What What is the scene like at the time with shows? Is it kind of a thing where you take a show and it really is just a couple of mates watching, or is it kind of a thing where there is a scene there and there is something you can build towards with playing live? Man, I get goosebumps thinking about it. The, it was fucking unbelievable. For a 13-year-old kid to finish school, we had two venues. Uh, in fact, we had three. But the two that were most prominent to us was the Citrus Rooms and the Archers. Now, the Archers were more of a pub, but the Citrus Rooms were like a club. So it looked like it, it was our venue. There used to be like two spots either side that you could like have people stood in and shit. I don't know. It was just... it were, We... So the first ever gig that my shit name, but me and my mate started this band. We had a we wrote a song called Razor Blades and White Stars, right? So very we him. Took the very off. him. Very him. <laughs> yeah, this is like fucking 2006. We were all listening to like Underoath and um, you know a lot of like just, just you know weird heavy Norma Jean, all that stuff, all that sort of shit. And um, so we called the band down White Stars, and we were playing a gig with a band called Revenance, who actually Loz from While She Sleeps was in before While She Sleeps, but mm. Loz wasn't in the band at the time. Um, I'll get to that later. It's a very incestuous little scene. And a band called Reaching Oceans, who were like tipped to be, you know, they were playing shows, we went to Shikari and stuff, and they were from Barnsley, and we were like, oh, mate, these are going to be sick. 400 cap venues with 600, 700 people turning up, and you couldn't fit any more in. So we used to play these gigs, and it were it were it was so encouraging for obviously at the time we were thirteen years old, playing these gigs every couple of weeks to the same amount of people who'd tell their mates and they'd tell their mates, whether they were into music or community or whatever, it were it were brilliant. It were the best possible. Like I mean, thirteen years old. There's a lot of kids who aren't so sure of themselves, and you know they don't know who the mates are and whatnot. But I never had a doubt like that this that community and metal music in itself was for me it felt like mine it felt like ours and it were uh, it were a very a very special time because it, it died it died an absolute death eventually but yeah back then especially and then you get people from Sheffield Doncaster Leeds Wakefield Huddersfield all coming to Barnsley you know Arctic Monkeys um are from like they're, they're from Sheffield but they played a show at Citrus Rooms, a secret show, prior to their first record coming out. And that kind of just set it all off. People were just in love. We're going to gigs again. It were, it were brilliant. Really good time. And you're saying a bit of an in, incestuous scene. So obviously um, it was a, a scene, as you were also saying, very thriving 
um, and obviously quite a few opportunities. Um, what was your transition like getting into your later teenage years with the scene? So we, the very last show I played with that band, While She Sleeps supported us and um, a band called Azure World <laughs> um, were opening, uh, just some young lads went to school with us. Um, but we left school at this point and it was getting to the point where, man, we used to finish school and we'd go and play with like the Warriors, For the Fallen Dreams, Human Abstract, Protest the Hero. We used to get really good shows in Leeds. Um, old promoter called Toyan, who uh, used to run a thing called Ghost Fest, uh, which were really good for fucking Yorkshire hardcore and metal scene. It, it just dominated. It was brilliant. He used to put us on a lot of gigs, man. And uh, it was just getting to the point where we were getting really good show offers. And this mates were just like, you know, other members were like, we don't want to do this anymore. We just want to go to college and fucking, you know, um, I forgot what genre of music it was, but like some sort of dance house music, if you will, became very big in Barnsley. And that kind of took over the whole hardcore and metal a lot of kids who were into that got into got into drugs man and um you know clubs and that were never for me i was like this is still mine <laughs> so um, when i was 17 uh me one of my best friends at world ryan ryan colwell who was in revenance me and him were at leeds festival and we were watching municipal based and metallica i think that year and we were like let's start a thrash band dude so we started a thrash band and after that i I don't know how it happened. There was a band in the UK, death metal band, called Ignominious Incarceration. They were signed to Eight Records and they were touring with like the record Bring Me the Horizon. A lot of great bands. They were a, they were a bit of a name. And While She Sleeps got a tour with them. So Sleeps at this point carried on. Loz joined Sleeps and they started touring. Just little van tours up and down UK. And they toured with Ignom. Now... They wanted to change their name to The Soulless, and they did. They stayed on Ear 8 Records, but they needed a guitarist. So Matt Welsh messaged them and were like, I know a dude who would be good in this band, and that was me. So I stayed very much in touch with all them guys through local scene, and, um, yeah, I ended up joining The Soulless, um, who were based in Bath. Now, I did a YouTube audition. I'm pretty sure it's still on there. I've got an ironing board in background in my old garage and everything. Um, and, yeah, I got in that band. I drove down to Reading while they recorded the album, and I learned all the songs. They got me in, and we signed to a management company. I can't even remember the name of management, but Berry Tomorrow were on the same management. We only did two tours. Our drummer, Dan, joined Heaven Shall Burn. Hmm. He's now He now plays drums for Carcass. Um which is fucking barmy. And yeah, um, I that's how I met Barry tomorrow. That was the very first time. But they also used to play Barnsley quite a lot. And my old local band used to support Barry tomorrow when they played Barnsley. And I, I'll never forget, we were at school and the guitarist at the time was wearing our merch in Kerrang. And we were like, look at this, Barry tomorrow are wearing our merch in Kerrang. <laughs> um, so it's, it's crazy how it's come full circle. But... I hope I kind of fitted all that in. It's it's just persistence, I guess. I, I I just I just knew that working all these shit jobs, I was like I need to be in a band, and I'd do whatever it took. But I think if it weren't for Matt sending that message, I would, I wouldn't have found those guys at least anyway. Yeah, well, I mean that band um, rings a bell, and during your period in that band before you you know joined Barry tomorrow, are you also learning? 
a lot about the industry and touring and stuff because being a young age, playing local shows or shows in close proximity can only show you so much of the industry. So are you, before joining Berry tomorrow, are you kind of really getting a grasp for everything that it's going to take to be a successful artist in a band? I'll be honest, no. So because, well, I thought that we were going to do great things in that band, but it just it just never happened um, for a lot of internal reasons, uh, but also people who were, you know, working um, I say that term loosely for us, just kind of never never happened. I mean, props to Jamie Graham. He used to sing in Silosis. That's the guy who um, was managing us. Lovely guy. He basically, um, yeah, he, you know, he he did his part. He got us, you know, the fucking Berry Tomorrow tour and all that. But other than that, man, I, I was, yeah, I still am quite naive to a lot of things. But um, I didn't really learn too much other than about myself mm-hmm. and how determined I was to uh make a good fucking go of it because I was the only one you know other than uh, while she sleeps everybody else by that point had either stopped or um, it just didn't happen well I mean that that time in the UK scene also was a bit of a lull if I remember because the UK scene has gone through very much ebb and flows very much like the Australian scene also Um, and if I remember around that time there was a it was starting to kind of pick up around 2012, 2013. Um, oh, yeah. It, you look at the bands that were starting out then, like you mentioned, While She Sleeps, Barry Tomorrow, all of these. Um, mm. So the scene's starting to pick up. And before you joined Barry Tomorrow, Barry Tomorrow were kind of already starting to forge a name for themselves, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they signed to Nuclear Blast again. Jamie Graham's still managing them. And uh, yeah, they were doing doing great things. Um, did a lot of you know, I mean, for, in 2010 alone, they did like three US tours, and that's not counting European tours and everything. So yeah, like fair fucks, they were always mate. The thing is with Barry, even before I was in the band, they used to play everywhere. It didn't matter how long the drives were; they just got in a van and made that fucking shit happen. If they didn't have a gig. That made sure that they had one by the day, you know, that they didn't. It was the work ethic was always so noticeable. Um, and yeah, sleeps are the exact same. So it like it just uh, does. I mean, there's a lot of great UK bands who are still doing it now. But um, yeah, I remember that time. I mean, this is probably even predates 2012, 2013. I, I dare say that this is like 2010, 2011. By 2012 and 2013, I think both bands had kind of... Because I joined Berry Tomorrow in February 2013. Mm. And by that point, I think both bands had quite a reputable name. So, you know, you come in, as you mentioned, in 2013. Um, mm. First off, apart from that message that Matt sent... Um, what was the process for you like to join the band? And then the second part of the question was, as as we were just saying, you know, they're kind of, they're doing their thing, they're building all this momentum. Is there any pressure, um, nerves and expectation for you when you join the band? Yeah, so basically Matt sent the message to my old band. So that's how I got in the soulless. And then through doing the Berry Tomorrow tour, that's how I met those guys. Stayed in touch with Jace. Um, me and him used to, you know, we used to get high a lot together and just 
enjoy each other's company. We still do. <laughs> we still enjoy each other's <laughs> company. Um, but um, yeah, um, I basically got a call one day off Dav because, like I said, we stayed in touch. I'd been to see them a couple of a couple of weeks prior because they were doing the Architects tour. Um, so I went through to the show to hang out, say hello, whatever. And um, yeah, then after that, Dav called me and were like, Meds left. And I was like, all right, um, that's a shocker. And the band I was in at the time, the singer was like, Steve, our guitarist then, was like, Steve will do it. Steve will get asked. He'll, he'll, be, he'll play guitar for Brady tomorrow. I was like, oh, fair enough. I never even thought when I heard he, he'd left that I'd be the guy to replace him. Like, at all. Did, did not cross my mind. I was working in a really shit job um, in a warehouse. It was a cake factory. I'll not dumb it down. I used to make fondant fancies fucking eight to 12 hours a day. It was bleak. So Dav wow. rang me up and were like, we want you to fill in this tour. But yeah, it, it were like, we want you to fill in this tour with the ghost inside. Who were like, you know, big, big deal for me back then. Um, and I said, yeah. I'm like, I quit my job now. They were like, well, you know, we're not asking you to join. Like, we'll just, we'll just need to fill in. I was like, yeah, cool. I could still quit my job. Like, just never went back in, learnt all the songs. And, um, yeah, I uh, I filled in on that first tour, and by the end of it, they'd asked me to join. Um, does that answer your question? I forgot the second point. <laughs> no, it does. That answers the first point perfectly. So, you know, and then the second part, you come in, as you said, and you do them filling at first, which eventually yes. rolls into being full-time. Um, mm-hmm. you you're obviously very determined. And I love that. You know, you're driven and you know that no matter what, it's going to work out. No matter what, you're going to make a, a go of it and do well at it. But was there any nerves um, or did you feel any pressure to follow through? Because if you're joining a band that's already making a name for themselves, you don't want to be responsible yeah. for coming into a band and then everyone goes, you're the reason it turned to shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, never even thought of that, but like, <laughs> I, I bet some people did. Mate. Some people will have, and they'll still resent me for it. But um, it's a ridiculous excitement. I can remember, like, I lived with my mates at the time, and I'd, I'd like fish. Shout out Fish Burke, the main man. Uh, me and him sat down to smoke a joint, and I like Barry have asked me to fill in the tour for him. And I said to him, coincidentally, I'm sure this is just pure coincidence, but on that New Year's Eve. Um, when we were all like hanging out, whatever, I said to him, I like, something good's got to happen this year, man. I like, it's got to. And then that, that happened a couple of weeks after. And I was just like, I said to him, I was just like, like, what the fuck? I'm like, the, the stars have aligned, my friend. I'm like, they've asked me to fill in. They're like, well, you're going to do it. I'm like, of course. I'm like, I'd be stupid not to. Um, I didn't think anything nervous. I, I always remember the first show was at Rescue Rooms in Nottingham. And I was stood outside at stage. And at that point, you know, a 450 cap room or whatever it is, it still fucking, you know, shit me up. I'd played to that many people when I was younger, but I said, like, I was a bit cockier when I was younger. I was very sure of myself. And I, I, I didn't used to give a shit. But at that point, I was like, fuck. It definitely dawned on me, like, you know, the, the weight of responsibility. I think I did all right. Cocked up a few times here and there. I still do. <laughs> I'm human. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I never really thought that, you know, the whole you could fuck this up or, like, you could jeopardise that band name. I never thought of that. And I hope I haven't. No, <laughs> I don't. We're still, we're still doing it, so. Definitely haven't. I mean, I also looked back at uh, the year you had when you came in, like, 
dude. Wow. Dude. Right. So the, I mean, first of all, yes, every dream I had up to, so everything we've spoken about from being, so put it into perspective, 2004, Green Day were like my favorite band, pre-heavy music. Um, and yeah, my mum took me to Leeds Festival. We didn't even have to pay because we were that young. We were 12. Me and my fucking bro, Jamie and, Jamie and Lally. We call him Jamie and because his middle name's Ian. Me and him were took to Leeds Fest by my mum. Thrice were the second band on. Ooh. And uh, we were getting fucking crushed. So my mum, well, got people to throw us out. And me, my mum and uh, Jamie and went crowd surfing to Thrice. Um, and that was Leeds Festival 2004. And she's got a picture of me in an ACDC hoodie, stood at the barrier, looking at the stage, just bewildered. I wanted to see what was going on backstage. I wanted to see Banner come down. I wanted to see whoever it was announced that this is Leeds Festival 2004. I just wanted to be around it and just completely, you know, absorbed by it. To then play that fucking thing, at, you know, I'd just turned 21. I'd not long since turned 21. And before that, I used to go to download every year with my mates. I never used to go on holiday. I was never a lad's lad. I, I never went to fucking, you know, Ibiza or fucking Iron Napa. Fuck that. <laughs> I'd rather sit on broken glass. Um, and yeah, I used to go to download. So to play download and Leeds Festival in the same year, then do a headline tour. And then I'd started writing runes at that point, but... I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll never... T t and my mum were at front. So I, I just... I, I can remember just being... I used to have dreams about that, man. I literally used to go to bed and dream that I was playing Leeds Fest. And I, I said that with my hand on my heart and such conviction because it's so fucking true. I used to dream about it. And then it fucking happened. And uh, I don't think anything can prepare you for that. It didn't even feel real. I look at photos, it don't feel real. I don't look the same. I don't think the same. I don't act the same. But to think that that was my main goal in life, obviously I, I set new goals there, but that will always have such a place in my heart because it's, it's so authentic and real. And, um, yeah, I could go off on some massive inspirational speech about people should fucking follow the dreams, but, man, it happened for me. It fucking happened for anybody, you know. It's, it, it's very inspirational and very whirlwind to, you know, do uh, Reading Leeds, there was Download, there's Slam Dunk, I think you did Summer Blast, it was just like, 2013 was just off its fucking head. Um, and then you mentioned in there that you start writing your first album in the band, um, Ruins. What mm -hmm. was it like for you now being tasked with part of the group to write a new album? Were you just itching at the bit to get a first album out as part of Bury Tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I there was a couple of like demos be Bury Tomorrow um, that you know I, I sent to. I remember sending to Jack on like this is cool, and that ended up being Shadow of Creator, which was the second song on Runes. Um, so I wouldn't say itching; they were itching for me to fucking do it. I remember Jacko being well on the case. Um, and I used to think, fuck me, like, I'm 20-year-old, you know, not long since just finally found my foot in here and I've, I've got to write an album straight away. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it did great things for us, but I never thought that 
it'd do as, as, as many great things as it did for us. Um, I've got a weird way of looking at my own music um, and achievements, but, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely, I guess whatever we set out to do worked. <laughs> it would it was supported, you know, very well. Seeing the amount of rooms tattoos still and that people still, you know, at present get, it's crazy. It's mental. So the album did well then? Yeah, I mean, by by our standards, at least, it did really well. We, it was the first record that we charted in, you know, UK chart position, top 40 album. That was the time when my family were like, oh, fucking hell, our Chris has got a top 40 album. Like, do you know what I mean? It was one of them weird achievements. It don't mean shit to me, it's just a number. But um, it, it made people take notice, at least, you know, my family and friends who don't have a clue about this this world. Um, and yeah, we, we continued to tour and it got us that, you know, like first Australian tour, uh, Japanese tour, um, great festival slots like main stage download through 2014 into 2015. So yeah, it, um, we're very lucky, you know, that people connected to it the way they did and yeah. do. It, it, it really, it, it did seem like it did kind of keep the momentum without sidestepping too much. A question I definitely wanted to cover on is... I've heard people from England call you guys like underdogs of the English scene. And what they mean by that is looking at how outstanding the discography is and the work you guys do in the scene with touring and that, everyone thinks in many ways you guys should already be at a very higher pedestal than you already are. Um, So my roundabout question is, is that something you guys have heard or noticed, or is that just some bullshit that I'm hearing occasionally? If we are seen as that, then sick. Um, I'm a very independent, you know, kind of guy. I, I'm, a, I'm a very big, like, hardcore fan. So if we're seen as underdogs, then sick. Um, maybe that's because, you know, the people have expectations that we don't see. Um I'm very fortunate, as we all are, to play to 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people. You, you get where I'm going. Mm. Um, it's just a, we're all very lucky. Anybody who gets to play music and share something that they create in general, you know, it's like you with this podcast. We're all very lucky that people care about what we produce and create as creatives. Um, but I think maybe an underdog... I don't think I'm a fucking underdog. Like I, you know, I've I've done everything I wanted to do, and I still get to do it. Um, so it's just, what do they expect? Do they want us to play arenas? I'm happy playing pubs. Like, as long as people are listening, man. I, I, I and you know, coming to shows, I couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, call call me an old school hardcore head because that's what I am. Um, but I love the fact that you guys still play, you know, kind of downsized venues, not to say they're small venues, but I like the yeah, fact. Yeah, I know, yeah. I, I, I hate seeing bands in arenas, and I still do to this day. Uh, it's not for me. I like seeing in a gritty dive bar or a shitty venue, yeah. you know, and I think you guys should be applauded for that because you're also doing it, you know, you look at the shows you do through the UK and Europe, you guys are hitting towns and venues that a lot of bands will never touch. So you're getting out to all the kids. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just we 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 just we just want to play to as many people as we can wherever possible. And if 
you know, don't get me wrong, I love fucking playing arenas. It's it's a it's a definite vibe. As much as I, I just love playing live, as we all do. It's the only reason that we're in a band. If it gets to the point where it's not fun, we'll stop. Mm. But um you know, there's no signs of that anytime soon. But um, yeah, man, I think it's just one of them things. We just were a band because we like playing the music that we do and we like playing it live. So uh, by any means necessary, we will do that. And it's fun to, to, you know, give back to them communities that we used to play. Like, for example, Bridgend um, in Wales. You know, if we get to play fucking Milton Keynes or Sheffield or any of these places, man, they've all... Every pocket at UK used to have a good scene, and you know we like to, you know, go back to the promoters that used to give give a shit back then. So in that kind of sense, it's nice to do. But the, really, we'll play fucking wherever we're booked. <laughs> um, I love it. Just just get out and don't don't stop just... going. Um, now wanted to touch on like you know with albums as they go. Earthbound for me is another album like. You know, I'm a fanboy, so I don't hate any album. I love every album. But Earthbound, for me, felt like the band came really pissed off. Like, the sound of that album feels... Nice. um, It doesn't feel like there's melody in everything that Bury Tomorrow do, and there's always heaviness in everything. But Earthbound felt really fucking enraged. There was something in the tone of the guitars, everything about it. Um, was there a different approach going into that album or is that just how kind of things happened? There were definite different approach. So there were just many instances that, you know, we were like, not everything was going to plan around the time we were writing that. You know, when we were in Australia, for example, we just found ourselves in very tough times and we were on like a three-month-long tour and it kind of got to the end of it, and I'd started demoing on tour. And the first song that I started writing in the back end of 2014 was The Burden. Mm. And I can remember just writing that riff. And I started developing this like style of riff that I really liked. It was like bouncy, but it was like, you know, the way I was like, I don't know, I'm not like musically minded, so... Just the way I was playing things, like I got a vibe off that and I kind of just continued to write on tour. So I didn't touch anything over Christmas. And then we started a month-long European tour with Caliban and I took all my demoing gear and just wrote every single day. And, you know, a tour a tour in winter in a van like we were doing was tough. So, like, we were breaking down. It was snowing everywhere. We are freezing. We are all skint. And um, I think subconsciously that kind of came out in my riff writing but we purposely wanted it to be a raw as fuck metal album. Just that. And I think that's what you get. And it's nice to hear you touch on that because that is exactly what we intended on doing it. So the writing side came very naturally, but I think through the process, we found that we wanted to demonstrate that, that ferocity in a way. Oh, it, it bleeds out of the speakers, man. The, the edge, <laughs> the, the, the anger, the intensity. Um, it It's kind of an interesting thing with the way you guys write music, um, which I also wanted to make sure it's I It's still ask. my favourite. <laughs> it's still my favourite album. I love it. I, I, you know, that and Black Flame seem to be the ones I te- tend to go to uh, the most at the moment. Um, of course, I haven't heard Cannibal yet. But with, um wanted to ask with kind of like 
being a band in a in any band's case, you're kind of in a genre. How do you approach writing to a not be stale for yourself while playing it, but also to try and avoid being stale for the listeners? Because it's something surprisingly you guys have always done is no album is the same. There are tinges of the same, like there's the melody, there's some epic breakdowns, riffs, sing-alongs, all of this, but you guys find a way to adjust things slightly with each release to not be the same. So how do you guys do that? Like, how do you approach that? Well, again, thank you for the um, for the compliment there. But it's definitely something I purposely try and do. I try and keep every every song as different as I possibly can to kind of, you know, show off what Berry Tomorrow can do within the space of 10 to 12 songs. Like, Rooms, I look back with... Definite naivety. It was the first metal, uh, if you want to call it metalcore, I guess that's what band we are. First metal record I ever wrote. And then Earthbound, obviously, I'd found my feet with like how the dynamic of the band is, how we all act together, how we play together, and what people's musical capabilities are. So that's why I prefer Earthbound to Runes. But also with Black Flame, um, I'm trying to think how I, I, I started listening to a lot of well not started listening I'm quite a big Van Halen fan especially a 5150 fan Ooh. now again not a super like guitar nerdy dude I'm not but there's some great songs on there great rock songs same with Ozzy Osbourne solo stuff I listened to a lot of that and if you listen to the guitar work you probably tell that there's a bit more of that going on so that for me separated Black Flame from Earthbound and Runes because I purposely wanted to write catchier metal music. For example, The Age, f- fucking, that, that could be any rock band, apart from Dan, you know, Dan Gein, it's some bastard on there. But um, I purposely tried to make that a catchier album than Earthbound. Um, and when it comes to, like, individual songs, I always start with, like, different, you know, just, just find some tempos, I'm a big fan of the bounce, so like I have my go-to tempos where I find I write better. But I guess in general, it always starts as well with just me coming up with riffs. I'll take them to the band. Jace might write a few, um, you know. And then Dan, Dan's really good at like his his rhythmic um, patterns, vocal patterns, if you will, and a great lyricist. Um, and so's Jace. So. Jace will come up with his melody and such, and me and Jack will just feel out what feels good for the for the riffs. Um, very very natural. Um, I guess I got brought into this band to be the the songwriter, but it's never. I might write all the riffs and all the demos, and you know, but it's very much a collaborative effort when that I think the song's done, and I present it to everybody, and we'll all just throw us two pens in. It's quite nice. Well, I mean, how did you? How did you approach the upcoming album Cannibal then? You know, what was the new approach for you switching up from going from Black Flame to Cannibal? I found it quite daunting, if I'm being honest. There was a point where I wasn't entirely sure if there would be another album from me, to be honest. Um, I found myself in quite some dark spots, uh, which definitely kind of stumped me writing for a period and then um kind of just it came in waves as most you know most inspiration does i found it really hard i went down to jace's and i had about six songs 
and I stayed at Jesus for a week just to be in a different place and see if I can be inspired together. And me and him would sit and, you know, not 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 much would be, be happening. And then I'd um, I'd just stay up till stupid late, till I went past the point of tired. And just inspiration always comes knocking when you don't expect it. Also, when it's fucking stupid o'clock. <laughs> so I, um, I got into it pretty hard on, in some late nights and when I was on my own, actually. Um, it's an heavier album, I can tell you that much. Mm, um, nice. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, it, Cannibal, yeah, the track that you've already released, the title track, you, you know, you take the singing out of it and the singing is everything I want when I want to bury tomorrow song, you know, it's got that punch mm. um, and it's got that hook in the chorus, which the hook in the chorus I was not expecting, but really works well. Jace gave me fucking goosebumps when he sang that oh. to me that first time. That, that works. That happens a lot. The, the, <laughs> I don't have many friends that give me goosebumps as much as fucking Jason Cameron. But, but, um, but I can tell yeah. just what you're saying um, from what I kind of observed already with that single um, and what was going on that it does sound like it is a dark, um, encompassing album. It sounds like it's going to be a bit more on the dark side of things. And that's not a negative, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sometimes the negative can, you know, lead to positive. So I think we're not a negative band, and I think Dan has always, I don't want to speak for him here, but Dan's always been a very positive lyricist mm. and always tried to be very you know unifying and uh, he sings about you know positivity whereas this time it, it's not the case whatsoever mm. um yeah really excited for it too um thanks man as i told you earlier um thank you mama dawn uh, my english mama mother-in-law she's pre-ordered me the deluxe vinyl and the deluxe cd Fuck yeah uh, shout out don can't wait to get that um couple other things before we switch to some other things. Uh, one was mm-hmm. an interesting change for you guys. Um, you were Nuclear Blast for quite a while. And you mentioned mm-hmm. about being skint and really struggling. And then you switched up to Sony Music and Music for Nations. Was that an intentional switch up? Um, or is that just by chance that the contract was up um, and you're going to switch up? Because it looks like now you guys... Your merch seems a lot more personal. You know, your pre-orders are a lot better for your diehard fans like myself when you get signed things. It seems like things have changed for the better since you switched out of Nuclear Blast. Sick. Well, yeah, Sony were like, we're going to make you into rock stars, darling. Here's a million pounds. (laughs) And we took it and we thought, fuck it. No. um, (laughs) Basically, the contract ended with Nuclear Blast. Um, We had a couple of meetings with a few labels. And Sony was the one. I think we knew we were going to go with them anyway. Uh, we just had a really good connection. Um, Dav does all our own merch. That's it's not all of it, but the majority of a good like eighty percent of it. But he always has. But I think that Sony just have a better idea of what we want to do, and um, yeah, they're, they're quite accommodating for that. So it's a it's a very good working relationship, and it's cool that you see that too because it's. Um, I think it's pretty evident that when we released Black Flame, we definitely touched more people. I don't mean like fucking emotionally. I just mean in general, like more people have got into Bury Tomorrow since we signed to Sony. Um, and I think that works as much as it, has, you know, Sony are, much to, are as much to thank for that as we are. I think we're both 
you know, kind of help each other in that regard. Well, I definitely think the, you know, for me, you know, I love having signed shit on my walls. Not to say that your stuff is shit. I mean, it could be to some people, but to, but, but to me, it's it, I like it, so it's not shit. My wife thinks it's shit. She's like, why have you got that shit on your wall? Um, Dude, I have a room full of Power Rangers, and my fiance <laughs> thinks it's shit. It's a full fucking room. So, uh, yeah, I feel you on that one. But it, it, it's good to see, you know, you guys um, have become so well-known for connecting with your fan base, and when there are signed options um, and so many options for fans with pre-ordering, it really does feel like you care about the fans and it's something Barry Tomorrow have always been. Um, what's it like for you guys with your fan base, not only in England and, and other parts of Europe? Um, are you guys always kind of seeing the support from your fans? Yeah, man. Like, I mean, like I went to see Slipknot the other night uh, Sheffield Arena and just dude like seeing um, seeing Berry Tomorrow merch uh, a, a very you know a, a decent amount as well like the presence was strong um, and just having people come up and not be rude or intrusive but just like hey man and you know I'll say hello to fucking anyone I'm, I'm quite a, I like to think I'm quite personable and I like interaction with people so um I'll always say hello back, but I know why they're saying hello, and that's cool. Um, and I think people kind of, they know not to overstep a boundary. Um, they they know how to, uh, well, it's just the fact that our music can help anyone or connect with someone, or, you know, somebody might find themselves in quite a lonely, dark place that they, they put one of our songs on and it helps them, or they're at a party with their mates and they're like, I like to think that there's someone doing exactly what I did um, for example, when I heard Azale Dying, I knew for a fact that that's what I wanted to do. The band that kind of changed it all for me was Azale Dying. So if if, if if I can do that for someone, then amazing. Do you know what I mean? That's fucking amazing. Like I, it, it genuinely brings me so much joy to think that people care about what we do. And it's very authentic and it's very real. Um I am not into fucking rock star attitudes. I am not into ego. I'm not into arrogance. I'm not into ignorance. I fucking hate that shit. Just be kind to people. Be respectful. Um, and especially if they're fucking, you know, caring so much about something you create because that's what you want. You want people to connect and to like and to share however they choose to do so. Mm. So the fact that people are so... People have got Berry Tomorrow tattoos. People wear our merch. People fucking sing them songs. And that's something that I'll um, never, ever fucking take for granted. And I speak for all of us there 100%. And that's the reason why I'm having this podcast with you and we get to release another record. Um, it's because people give a shit and that blows my fucking dick off. Well, I think uh, you guys, you are known as guys that are down-to-earth and not ego, egotistical wankers. I mean, you, you can just tell without knowing you guys. Um, you can just tell that you, that's how you are, and I think that's probably why you still have such a rabid fan base that you do. You know, you spot a dickhead, you're not going to get into their music anymore. Um, and I think it's sick that you guys are mm. like that. Um, wanted to ask with you have a diehard fan base. Clearly, in England, I remember going to the show either Northampton or Milton mm -hmm. Keynes, fucking 
goes ballistic in England for you guys, goes ballistic in Europe for you guys, but where are you guys with breaking that very difficult American market? Have you guys smashed it? Um, what's going on there? And then, you know, just overarching, like what's it like as an English band trying to get out to the other sides of the world that aren't Europe? I think we stopped fucking trying, mate, to be honest. Like there was a time that, you know, we they already did it like three times in a year prior to my joining. They had a bit of a falling out with some people over there and um it just never really worked out. That's nothing to do with it, to be honest. Like but you know, they had a change of label and you know, I'm sure they won't mind me saying that, but they were changing label and everything else. And um yeah, I mean like we've we've had a few offers, but honestly, man, like it's fucking expensive. Mm. Um and if you can't get an offer that's going to make you while, I mean, you know, we're all getting on a bit now. If it happens and it's a good offer and we can make it happen, then amazing. But we're fucking, we're not like counting on it. Same goes for Australia. It's expensive. And we we know that from finding ourselves in fucking shit when we were there. Yeah. Um, that's not to say we don't try and come back because we do. And hopefully 2021, 20, it's a possibility. Um, seen a few emails today, so maybe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. With America, man, it's just like it's a fucking massive pond, and we are quite the minute fish <laughs> in this scenario. It, man, I hope it happens, like because I've you know I've been out there like on holiday or a vacation um, <laughs> myself, and you know I think it's cool. I'd love to play in Seattle. That's uh, that's my jam. But um, yeah, it's I guess it kind of comes back to that. Thankfully, we get to play to other people in other places. But, you know, hopefully it'll happen. But we don't lose sleep over it, basically. No, and I think, you know, uh, when it happens, which it will happen, you you guys will gain momentum over there. I think it's, you know, you guys have so much going on everywhere else in England and Europe that it probably, that's why it probably doesn't really bother you that much. They're missing out. Yeah, exactly. They're missing out. They're fucking fault. Wake up, America. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I know for a fact that like we've got fans out there, so hopefully we can make it out to them because I meet enough of them flying out over here. So <laughs> it'd be nice to repay the favour. But we'll see, man. Um, you know, keeping it, uh, being optimistic, but you know, realism sets in after this many years. But we'll see, we'll see. It's all good. Um, so one or two things to still want to touch on because I know you're way past your bedtime. Um, you should be tucked in. Oh, mate, I don't have a fucking bad time. <laughs> Fuck that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask for for you guys um, and for your take um, being in a band in the modern era is social mm-hmm. media and how bands need to be aware of how to use it um, to their advantage. Um, is it something you guys are very noticeable of because – your band is very smart with the use of social media. Um, it doesn't seem overused, um, and you're putting up things when there's a reason to put up things. You're not just putting up things mm. for the sake. Yeah, um, and absolute credit to our man, Jason Cameron, for steering and sailing, being that ship, if you will. He um, he smashes it, and we want to keep it as uniform as possible. We want to keep it as concise and to the point much as we are in real life um you know we just we don't want to waste people's time but also we want to be uh, engaging and informative and thankfully we have we seem to be doing all right with that um 
but yeah, we have you know we have good engagement and connection with our fans through social media. Um, so yeah, I uh, I th- man, I think social media these days it's important to use it as a tool and not let it use you. Which on a personal perspective, I, I think we all probably struggle with a little bit. Yeah, um, Jace smashes the social campaign for this band really. It's really it's really well done. Um, it's smart. Um, and it and it works and it pays off. Um, what about the industry um, for you guys? Uh, from when you were younger, you know, in bands, the industry was a different different ball game. You know, a lot of it was about CD sales. A lot of it was about the sales of physicals. And then, uh, kind of through the the career with Barry Tomorrow, things have changed where it's all geared towards the streaming numbers. Uh, and these mm. kind of things for an artist um, in the modern industry and where it's going, is it something that you think we're at a healthy place or do you think we're at a place where not, not everything is working quite yet? Oh, it's a, it's a toughie is that, mate. I think especially for me being quite... I feel like a lot of industry is like if if they think it's fucking cool and niche and like uh, hipster or it's sta- I don't know and it's like the the industry is quick to fucking suck someone's dick and I fucking hate that mm. we all do so I'm you know I'm not fucking like throwing anybody under a bus or like shitting in anybody's name here but I guess from a person and I speak purely personally. Uh, I just hate that fucking, you know, like, oh, like, blowing smoke up your fucking ass. Like, nah, mate, like, do one. I'm not into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of that. So like I remember when the first joint band and stuff, we'd be like, what the fuck is this in our dressing room? Like, and we'd be like, no idea. It's so-and-so. It's like, fuck off. There's some dickhead at fucking the, the recent show we did. Like, I was like, who is this guy sniffing fucking coke? In our in in like our crew dressing room, like not fucking cool. No, you know it's just industry people thinking the fucking dog's bollocks. Tends to be just. Oh, I'm not going to get into it because I could fucking rant for ages. But there's obviously a lot of positives, hundred percent. And I think from at least a um, from my perspective, I try and have as much as very little to do with all of that as possible because it's uh, it's just not me. I am not that as a person i just want to stay in my own lane focus on what's important focus on what's positive and unfortunately with that as you say it can be quite a numbers game and who's cooler than this nobody's fucking cool man well i am cooler than every motherfucker on planet but uh, <laughs> nah you know what i'm saying i try and stay away from it because i think a lot of it's fake and i'm not into that no exactly and i think i think uh, uh, you know you are very cool just to let you know it's okay i know um, yeah no. yeah me the the aussie from brisbane can confirm you're cool. Um, everyone else listening is saying you're both fucking losers right now. But shut up, <laughs> shut up. Anyone thinking we're losers, you're being hateful and negative. Yeah, um, you're scum. Um, but yeah, it is. It is a weird time, man. The industry's really fucking weird. Um, I think the only thing that needs to change, apart from all those dickheads that you mentioned, is numbers need to start paying in any shape or form, two bands, because yes, we are all about streaming and downloading now, but to keep a band going, 
um, they need to see some money. Um, so I think that is the big shift mm. that needs to happen. And that's another thing. That's a, that's another thing. Everybody earns more money than the artist, and that's a fact. And mm. what I'm speaking about there, mate, is is purely based on that fact. There's a lot of dickheads who just want to get rich from other people's creativity, and it's like you're a fucking pool boy, mate. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, as simple as that. Now, um, noticed. Yeah, we're going to switch gears into a little bit more behind the curtain stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Quite a bit of sobriety going on for you over the last. Yeah, I'm trying. So, um, what what what's going on there? Reason? Uh, well done, by the way. But uh, reason Thanks, and man. and what's going on? It's not like I were a fucking alcoholic or a drug addict <laughs> at all. Um, well, I don't know. I I started smoking cigarettes when I was 17. I stopped with that 18 months ago. Um, I, 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 I loved drinking, right? Loved it. I'd drink every day. Weren't alcoholic, but I'd drink every day. And I'm like three strong ass beers, um, craft beers. Um, but I open, well, not openly, but I, um, I, I struggle with uh, anxiety really bad and, um, depression and I'm medicated for it. Um, and I just started, I came off tour with Architects uh, in 2016. I just started having panic attacks. Didn't know what brought it on. Didn't understand it for years. Mm. Um, and I just, uh, I just, I, I stopped. I, I couldn't smoke weed anymore. Um, and I smoked weed every day for fucking years. Um, spent a shit ton of money on it as well. But, man, I was living with, like, my three best friends up to age, like, 24. Um you know, doing the band and shit and just having a jolly old time. But I think, to be honest, whether I was pissed off, I'd get high. Whether I was sad, I'd get high. Whether I was happy, I'd get high. I just, any emotion, didn't really deal with it because I was just getting high. And I didn't do it for that. I was just, you know, a young lad from Barnsley who loved getting fucking high. Um, and drinking, I just loved, I, I love craft beer, man. I, to say I still love it, I don't know. It's only been four months, but I tell you, the difference it's meant to my motivation and uh, general mindset. Um, I've already spoke to like my mates who are trying to organise a fucking stag. Do I've said nah? I'm off. I'm out. Because um, I'm I'm just for first time ever. I think I'm I'm just actually connected to how I think and feel. And I'd fucking implore anybody to do it because it's you know it's dry January and all that shit, which is a great excuse. But the amount of people that are like oh I feel so much better and they'll be straight in pub on February first and probably doing some fucking keys of sniffing bog. Mm. like fuck that man i just think it's for me it won't serve me anymore and i try and live my life by like what brings in value and what serves me and what what's going to make me feel like a better fucking chris dawson tomorrow and it's not bulls unfortunately i've wasted too much time and that's not to say it don't work for other people because i mean man i have a much better time i went out with some friends overnight until they started repeating themselves, I fucked up. I fucked off after that but like i could still have a good laugh and there's a lot of decent non-alcoholic beers but also, man, I just decided to start working out and it's essentially to start – well, I'll be honest. I'll be completely open about it. I would have been severe breakdowns. I'd have like two beers tops. I'd be in fucking tears. Mm. Like I could not control my emotions, could not control my mood. My fiance, bless her, thought that there were fucking issues with me and her. There weren't. It's issues with my mental health and the fact that drink and drugs or whatever does not contribute to that in any way, shape or form. So yeah, four months. Um, I'm not counting. I just know it's four months. <laughs> but um, and I, I know for a fact that I'm, I feel so much better in myself, and that'll continue. 
and it's the same with Muay Thai. Shout out Wicker Camp in Sheffield. Fucking the best, best, best thing that could have happened to me. Um, so, yeah, it's all positive. Well, it, it, you know, like, fuck yes, dude. Like, uh, as someone who has been off the booze for quite a while now, um, and I had to, I had to because it was the same thing as you with, um, you know, the cloud, the dark cloud that would come into play mm. when I was drinking. I became uh, very emotional, um, and then it would roller coaster to being upset, to then being angry, to then being upset. And mm-hmm. I got an vicious, ult- yeah, and I got an ultimatum from my my wife. She she basically said, like, look, it's either that booze or it's me. Um, and then I I haven't I haven't touched it since, and it's been several years. Um, power to you, power to you, man. That's, that's that's heavy. Well, it's power to you too, man. I mean, I know it's only been a couple of months, but the fact that you can notice and feel the difference means that you know you're on the right path um, with your decisions, and you'll start to notice that things like your anxiety and your depression, yes, it may still be there in the background, but you're going to have a hell of a lot more control over it. Um, and you'll start feeling healthier and better you, basically, as you go yeah. along. Um, That's it, man. That you know, my tie um, has given me. It's it is that um, they, especially at the gym I train at, they they encourage to the whole point of it is to build a better you, which is is insane. Like it's, I'm just drawn to this positive energy, man, and it's in full effect in in the the activities that I'm doing. So yeah, I'm just trying to trying to keep that up. Yeah, fuck yeah, brother. Um, all for it. Um, now, what we're going to do to wrap things up is we have a mm-hmm. segment called "Pick Your Poison." Now, what we do, okay. what we do here is um, basically we're going to find out what makes you tick, um, and also mm-hmm. find out that if um, if I was to spend a day with you, uh, what choices of things would you do? Okay. Yeah, man, I'm in. So basically, I'm stalking you through questions. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, I'm used to that. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, would you rather a pizza or a burger? Oh, dude, fuck me! I didn't know you were going to come in with such heat. <laughs> um, ah, oh, such a toughie, bro. Such a toughie. Um, I'd like to just put out there that I don't eat meat either. Um, but um. Fucking hell! I see. When I did eat meat, I'd say burger, because I like I used to. I literally used to have burgers every day. Um, man, fuck it. I'm gonna say burger. Okay. Um, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. Okay. Uh, soft taco or hard taco? Oh, oh! I probably say, oh God. I probably say hard because soft. I just have like a feet or something. It's like the same thing in it. So mm. I'll say crunch, the crunch. Okay. Now, do you go smooth peanut butter or do you go the crunchy peanut butter? It's fucking smooth, man. <laughs> Always. Uh, I just bought this like kilogram tub of the shit. So yeah, smooth. Uh, do you go coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah. Coffee. I'm drinking some decaf right now, man. I um, I, I'm, I live on. I won't say I'm a coffee addict, but I'm a, I'm a very big coffee fan. What about mayo or brown sauce? Fuck, man. Fuck brown sauce. Mayo all the way. 
Mm. Yeah, all of you. Yeah, my wife's fucking obsessed with mayo. I think we don't buy anything but mayo at the supermarket. <laughs> Fucked. Yeah, man. Fucking, I, I found though that like, you know, I don't have like eggs in my mayo, but it's it's tasty as shit. So yeah, mayo for sure. Um, do you want to cook at home or would you prefer to dine out? I'm a tight bastard, so I like to fucking cook at home. But then when I cook at home, I spend as much money as I would as I would if I'd gone out. So like, and I'm just—I <laughs> went to Waggers the other day with some old uh, old school friends of mine um, at Wagamama. That is, I was like, I said Waggers to someone over there, and they're like, "What fucking Waggers?" <laughs> um, but ah, oh, man, I think it all depends. But I, I tell you what, I like to get food out delivered in. Ooh, so well it's like the played. best of both worlds, you know what I mean? Get your sushi, go get some sushi and bring it home. I'm not talking like a shitty greasy pizza. Like, go get some good food and bring it home. That's that's what I'm into. So I'm going to combine both uh, scenarios there. You just broke that question. Well done. Like, well answered. Um, smash it. Yes, man. Proud of myself. Um, cinema to watch the movie or at home on the couch? do like going to the cinema and my fiance she fucks me over with that couch she'll lay the fuck across and i'm forced into a corner so i'm gonna say cinema because at least i've got more room at fucking cinema <laughs> but imax dude we like we go and watch a lot of films at the imax it's huge i don't know if you got that in australia it's basically like it's just the biggest cinema screen in europe mm. in sheffield and it's fantastic watching joker on that were uh, we went twice it were amazing so yeah i'll say cinema mate i'll go cinema now the next one will be an interesting one because you live in one of the coldest places in the world so would you rather spend the day at the I beach don't know about that. would you rather spend the day at the beach mm. or at the snow fucking i never thought that i'd be a, like a beach holiday guy but me and uh, me and my lady went to Mexico for my uh, stepsister's wedding, and we both like fuck, like this is sick. Like we enjoy the beach, but I think it's easier to get warm in the cold than vice versa. So I'd say snow, and everything looks better in the snow, man. Mm. Um, do you play on a PS4 or an Xbox? PS4, baby, Rocket yeah. League all day. Yeah, buddy. Um. Cat or a dog person? Dog. Nice. Yes. Well answered. Yes. That's all that yeah, matters. Stuff is in particular. We've got two. We've got two. Well, what? Two dogs? Two staffies. Oh, my fucking God. My dude. Uh, we've got two staffies and a long haired uh, dachshund. So we've got three dogs. So. See, I liked you anyway, and I respected you anyway. But like, I respect you on a whole new level now. Well, you want you you just you just got bromanced as soon as you said dog. So, well, Staffies have been in our family for years now, man. Um, we had a dog called Dave, who unfortunately passed in 2017. But Dave, the dog Dawson, man, like fucking powerful. And we got little Judd now. So, um, yeah, Staffies all the way on, mate. Always. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, right, couple of movie ones. Would you go Rambo or Rocky? You're going to be fucking ashamed. I've not seen either. Hey, not surprised. Not surprised. A lot of people have I've not seen either. <laughs> so let's change that up to Terminator or Predator. 
Oh man, you haven't seen them either. either Okay, you you have homework to do. You have homework to do. I know. I hear this every day, man. Like every day, my um, uh, my like, uh, Neil. At, um, born lucky barbershop who's teaching me how to cut hair every day he's like have you seen this I'm like no he's like fuck you he gets well pissed off so I've never seen a single Star Wars film either and that just kills him well I don't think you're missing much there personally um, no. uh, Slayer or Pantera oh, this is tough yeah these are the hard ones I'm gonna have to say Slayer Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. It's weird, man, because I prefer Dimebag's fucking guitar work, but I listen to Slayer or have listened to. I'm just going on the amount of albums I've listened to and listened to on the regs. So I'm going to have to say Slayer. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Uh, probably have to say Black Dahlia Murder. Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Marilyn Manson. Fucking can't can't stick Rob Zombie. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? <sighs> Foreclosure of a Dream by Megadeth is one of my favourite songs of all time. Nice. And it's one of my favourite guitar solos of all time. But I'm still going to have to... I'm going to have to say Metallica. Corn uh, or Limp Bizkit? Corn. No. Corn over most bands, man. Fucking corner, amazing. Uh, Offspring or Green Day? Green Day. Uh, For da- sure. Darkest Hour or God <sighs> Now we're fucking talking. Darkest Hour. Oh, love those boys. Darkest Hour. They are one of the reasons I'm in a band, man. Undoing. We covered these fevered times when we were 13. We tried anyway. Oof. Yeah, I think they're, for me, one of those bands that... I don't think get enough love and appreciation. I've got all the albums on vinyl. I'm obsessed. I just, everyone needs to get behind Darkest Hour more. Like more. I, I completely agree. Yeah, hey, we were talking about underdogs. <laughs> There's yeah. some fucking underdogs right there. But yeah, Undoing Ruin and Deliver Us. Um, but like I say, I mean, that's when, like, I'm not going to get into it again, but I was so young when I heard Darkest Hour, man, um, on a Victory Records, um, like, mixed mixed CD with Metal Hammer and it had um, Sound of Surrender on it and it just fucking blew me away. Oh, so yeah, Dark Tower. That's a track too. Um, mm. Now, we've got the last few here. If you're playing a show, do you want to see stage dives going on around you or do you want to see mic grabs going on around you? Stage dives. Nice. Um, you're going to a show. Are you going to watch it from the pit or are you going to watch it by the sound desk? If it's Smashing Pumpkins, one of my favourite band of all time, I will watch from the pit. If um, I probably stand at Sound Esther, I feel like I'm uh, I'm, in, I'm in mosh retirement. <laughs> I've been there for a while. It's quite nice. Um. <laughs> it is very relaxing. Um, okay, two left. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Now, I know technically you need them to work together, but you can only do one. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's a, t- oh, it's a toughie. Um, as in record, as in like, pl- oh, dude, I tell you, fucking both are like, 
both have positives and negatives. But I'd probably say I'd probably say recording okay. because then I'll ask can be there while I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be there when I'm touring all the time, so now, last one, you're going to get your all-time favourite album given to you. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or do you want it on your phone? Vinyl. I'm a, I'm a big vinyl collector. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yes, that's what I like to hear. I, I still buy um, music regularly on vinyl. Um, so, yeah, definitely vinyl. Um, man, dude, um, first thing, thank you. Second thing... You're a fucking legend. That was so enjoyable. Uh, very relaxed. Um, time flew by. I'm sorry we went over time, but I don't regret it. Fucking hell. I've just seen time, yeah. No, absolutely. I'd like to interject there. Thank you, first and foremost, for asking me and devoting your time to you know to doing what you do. I think it's a great podcast. Um, it means a lot that you want to know anything about me in general. So I just wanted to interject there, man, and just stop you in your tracks because... Um, all the praises on you, my friend. So thank you. Um, well, you know, I think what made it even better is fuck yeah, I could fucking hang out with you. Like you just For sure one of those dudes that um I could guess when we were just chatting before I started recording. Yeah, dude, much love um and lots of respect. And dude, the music that you've done and the music that's coming, uh, keep it coming. I love it. Um. So, but you're you're a fucking legend, man. I really appreciate this again. I've said it a million times, but I do mean it. Um, no problem. Likewise, man. Thank you. And don't be a stranger, eh? No, likewise, man. Please stay in touch because it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, pleasure's all mine, brother. And um, yeah, I'll I'll definitely stay in touch. Please do. Uh, absolute pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks again, man. Thanks, brother. I'll speak to you soon. See you in a bit, my man. Peace. Uh, mate. Oh
So that was my chat with Chris of Berry Tomorrow, and at the end there you heard the band's track Cannibal, 
which is the title track of their forthcoming album, which is due April 3rd. You also heard the band's track More Than Mortal, which is from their album Black Flame. And the last track you heard was The Eternal from their album Earthbound. So now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band, support the artist that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music and you haven't yet discovered their amazing discography, now's your chance. Get online, stream it. If you're into physical stuff, get on eBay, get on the band's official website and buy something. Or if you've got the time and the money, maybe pre-order that phenomenal album that's coming out in April, which is called Cannibal. Another way you can support the band is buy some merch, get a t-shirt, get some moss shorts, get a hoodie. Or if you're lucky enough to live somewhere where the band is coming through town, make sure you grab yourself a ticket, get out, get in the pit, and show the boys some love. I've also got to take this moment to thank Chris again. You fucking legend dude. Thank you so very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Also stoked to have another chat very, very soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 104. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.